You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am, in fact, your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, today is officially game day. So what I'd like to do today is um, maybe not necessarily clarify, but elaborate slightly on the theme of yesterday, and that is the Packers need to not just win, but, uh, you know, win by kind of more than just barely. <laughs> I know some of you are rolling your eyes like you don't need to elaborate. That's pretty straightforward to me. But um, not everybody agrees, so let me take one more shot at this because I just can't stand it when the whole world doesn't agree with me perfectly. But anyways, after that, I want to talk about how exactly that's going to happen. So let's just walk through this one step at a time. Do we want the Packers to be a good team? A lot of these are going to be questions that I'm not actually, you know, giving you the opportunity to answer. I mean, they're questions we all know the answer to, right? Yes. I'm assuming everybody would say, yes, I'd like the Packers to be a good team. All right, what, is, what does it mean to be a good team? Does it mean I hope they have a lot of fun? Like back in, in the offseason, we're like, dude, this team is going to, I think this team is going to be really good. What we really actually meant was, I bet they're going to have a ton of fun. No, that's probably not what we meant. It's possible... You meant that we were going to barely win enough games to get into the playoffs. Maybe, but I don't think so. In fact, I don't think wins really has anything to do with it necessarily. One of the things that always goes hand in hand with being a good team is offensive and defensive rank. I think this is going to be a top three defense and a top 10 offense. Isn't that usually the kind of conversations we have? And even if it's not specific, I think it's sort of implied. Nobody's saying, ah. Eh, Except Bears fans, apparently. They, they kind of did a lot of double talk in the offseason. Well, we're not going to win a lot of games, but we sure do have a lot of great players. Like, what? That doesn't... Okay. No, but, but generally speaking, if you think we're going to win 10, 11, 12, 13 games, it doesn't get accompanied with... But I think the defense is going to probably just be outside the top 10, and the offense might even be outside the top 20. But I still think we get 12 wins, right? So it's all kind of implied anyways. Okay, let me ask you this question. Is it possible to be a top 10 defense and offense and win every game barely? The answer to the question is no. You can't. It's not possible. If you win a team, if you beat a team by three points, two points, one point, it's impossible that your defense and offense did a good job. Either one did, the other did, or neither did. Right? 20 to 21 kind of sucks for both sides of the ball. You cannot give me a score in which you win by two and the offense and defense did a good job. You can't. Give me a score that the defense did a really good job. Okay, they scored 10. We won by one, so we, we scored what? 11. I don't know. It doesn't matter that you can't get to 11. That's not the point. Do you see what I'm saying? So we can't simultaneously say, I want the team to be really good, but I'm also fine with them not really being very good. Because it's not possible 
for them to barely win games and be really good. Now, if you add in the fact that this is maybe the worst opponent we're going to see all year, I don't see any reason why there wouldn't be an expectation that, that there is a good performance from the defense and the offense, right? Is that not an expectation you have? Okay, well then, if the defense does a good job, what should the score be? If the offense does a good job, what should the score be? Again, it's impossible for the defense and offense to do a good job and it's a close game. Impossible. Uh, the closest you can do is like 20 to 23, except neither really did a great job. 23 is not a great job by the offense. 20 points given up is not a great job by the defense. Again, imply it when, when we look at the fact that Washington is terrible. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I'm going to piss and moan unless the Packers win 43 to zero. I'm saying there's no excuse for a competent day from our defense and our offense and our special teams. We just, it's not too much to ask to say I'd like them to perform well today. Because at the end of the day, that still doesn't make you a great team. A great team is a team that can have a good day against the good teams. All we're saying, all I'm saying, is that against one of the absolute bottom-of-the-barrel worst teams in football, I expect a good effort from the defense and the offense, period. If they can't do that, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be one of the ones saying, hey, you won, it's fine. I'm not. There will be a sliver of that. Hey, at least we survive. But it, it doesn't give anybody any hope for the future. It doesn't. It can't. All we can do is keep playing that game. Well, well, maybe next week they'll figure it out. And if not next week, then the week after, maybe something will click eventually. And then when it does, we'll be fine. I guess that's true, but that's not... It doesn't have anything to do with anything. Do I want the team to be the team that I want them to be? <laughs> what is your expectation for this team? Period. That's the question. What is the expectation for this team? If they meet the expectations that we set in the preseason, what does that look like against Washington? If you're going to tell me it's 20 to 23, I'm going to say you're a liar or you have really low expectations for this team. You came into this season saying we're, we're maybe a slightly above 500 team and we probably missed the playoffs. If that was your expectation, then yeah, you, I can understand you sitting there saying, no, oh, man, all the pissing and mowing and I don't get it. So what? Not that anybody should be happy with a team that misses the playoffs, but but whatever. At least then you could say, hey, they're, they're meeting my expectations. This is what I thought. They're kind of just barely better than Washington. So you can, you can put the, your, your own score in your own mind, whatever you think it is. What is a good defensive performance against Washington? Let's take a look at what Washington's done so far. I'm going to completely disregard what the Packers have done because the Packers are not a good football team right now. So I'm not going to say, well, generally we score this and they score this, so this would make sense. No, I don't care what we've done in the past. We've gone 0-2 the last two weeks. Our offense ranks 24th, our defense ranks 15th. That's not my expectation. I'm washing that clean. We're assuming that a change has come and a new era has arrived and the real Green Bay Packers can now please stand up. Washington, the last four weeks, has scored 8, 10, 17, and 12. The most they scored was 17, 17 points against Tennessee. Tennessee has the 21st ranked defense. Okay, so this is a top 10, which is bottom of the barrel expectation for this defense. You're kind of hoping 
for top five. Chicago's defense ranks 11th, and they allowed 12 points. The Dallas Cowboys defense ranks third, and they allowed 10 points. The Eagles defense ranks sixth, and they allowed eight points. So three roughly top 10 defenses have given up 8, 10, and 12. Shouldn't the Packers be in that range? In that range, 13 points is as a maximum. Is that completely unfair? And no, not all of them were on the road. Philly was in Washington. Tennessee was in Washington, even though that's not one of the uh, highest ones. But still, it's not like they, they knocked Tennessee out of the park. So 13 would be worse than what the Bears, the Cowboys, and the Eagles did, uh, who are barely or just outside of the top 10. But, but it's reasonable to at least say, hey, we're in that group. We're in that category, right? Am I being ridiculous with this? Now, Washington's defense has kind of stiffened um, the last four weeks. Philadelphia 24, Dallas 25, Tennessee 21, and Chicago 7. Now, Chicago ranks 31st. So I'm going to go ahead and disregard that one, Okay. Tennessee, Dallas, Philadelphia, um, they, let's see, Tennessee's offense 22nd, Dallas 23rd, Philadelphia is 4th. So if Philadelphia scored 24 and they rank 4th, I guess I can't necessarily expect too much more than that. So I could, we could take a little bit of pressure off of the Packers. If Philadelphia can't get past 24, I mean, Dallas, Titans, and Bears, they, their offenses all kind of suck, and I don't want to set them to that standard, but still, 25, 21, and 7. All right, we'll take a little pressure off. 21 to 13 is an 8-point win. 20 to 13 is a 7-point win. I'm not going to be doing backflips for the offense necessarily, but understanding our offense is struggling more than our defense, understanding that the Washington defense has been stiffening. And, and again, the Eagles couldn't even get more than 24, and they're a top-five offense. How's that? Is that reasonable? Is that fair? A, 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 I'm not talking dominant, elite, anything performance. I'm saying we win by seven points at a minimum of 13 to 20. In other words, I would prefer the offense doesn't do less than 20, and I would prefer the defense doesn't give up more than 13. Am I, am I being out of control here? And, and let's be completely honest. The, the area that we necessarily don't trust would be the offense. Do we actually think this offense is going to get to 20 points? I don't think too many people watched our defense and says it's impossible for them to get. To, I mean, we saw them dominate time after time after time after time after time. They just slipped through toward the end. Which is, I'm not saying that's acceptable or that's okay, but I'm just saying we've seen it. We have not seen the offense... Dominate, 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 dominate. And, you know, you just can't quite punch it in or just can't do this or just can't do that. No, it's like three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. First down and then punt and then three and out and then first down and then another first down and then punt. It's brutal. So, but, but that's, that's the big question mark. All right, so let's, let's discuss how these things come to be. All right, the, the uh, Packers do win. They win 23-13-ish. to 13-ish. Great day. Great victory. One by 10. And granted, some people still piss and moan, well, the offense isn't where it needs to be. Well, whatever. You've heard what I had to say about the issue. 
By the way, a uh, report came out that Carolina rejected two first-rounders for Brian Burns. People have been asking about Brian Burns. And I've been telling you it's it's absurd for multiple reasons. Number one, we can't pay Rashawn Gary and Brian Burns. These are going to be like the two highest-paid pass rushers at some point in the near future, um, depending on when Bosa gets paid. He's probably going to get the highest one, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it just depends on the timing, which is going to be crazy if Bosa gets paid and then Rashawn gets more than Bosa and then Burns gets more than Rashawn, but whatever. Point is, that's not possible. And they wanted two, they, it, Carolina rejected an offer for two first round picks for Brian Burns. That was never, ever going to be a thing. If they're going to go get somebody, they're going to get some, you know, scrubby guy to just be a number three. You're not getting Brian Burns. That's insane. But it goes on to say Carolina has no intentions of trading Burns, Derek Brown, J.C. J.C. Horn. They just got J.C. Horn and D.J. Moore. Why would they trade? See, this is what I kind of don't understand. I understand fire sale of some people. Like Christian McCaffrey makes sense. The guy is broke down. He's a running back. You got to pay him a massive amount of money. That doesn't. That's not a guy you're going to build around for the future. These are guys that are about to get like their first big contract. These are your core pieces. You don't trade core pieces. Well, well, we're we're rebuilding. Right. You rebuild around your core pieces. Brian Burns is one of those guys. They can more than afford him. They're not paying anybody. Aside from Burns, Brown, J.C. Horn, D.J. Moore. Now, I, you know, if, if they didn't necessarily like D.J. Moore, then they would maybe trade him. But that doesn't speak too well for us, does it? They're like, nah, he's not really a core guy. He sucks. Let's get rid of him. But they didn't, which is good news for D.J. Moore, but... Obviously, it means we're not going to be trading for him. And I don't know 100% that this uh, Adam Schefter report is true, but it's enough for me to say, let's just stop now, all right? It's, uh, the fire sale has ended with Christian McCaffrey, and that's it. And, and again, that makes perfect sense to me. First of all, there was just a report here, um, Ian Rappaport, Commander's wide receiver Jahan Dotson, who retweaked his hamstring this week in practice, is listed as questionable, is a long shot to play, sources say. So Jahan Dotson... Uh, very likely out for the Commanders as well. He isn't necessarily the biggest contributor in terms of uh, yardage. He's behind running back J.D. McKissick in yards. He's fourth on the team. However, he is number one in touchdowns. He has almost 50% of the touchdowns on the team. He has four. The team has a total of 10. But he has been out since week four. So actually, when you look at the fact that he's only played four games, he is one of the top receivers. What is his average here? Let me find out. Well, it would put him third ahead of ahead of the running back. Still behind Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel. So here's something I want to do. Um, and maybe this is not the right thing to do, but I'm going to. I want to look at Washington, but I specifically want to look at the last four weeks because there's been a big change in the team the last four weeks, right? Everything, their offense completely fell off. Their defense kind of hit their... Well, I, I shouldn't even say the defense hit their stride, but, but kind of. The defense has always kind of been in their stride. They just freakishly week two gave up 36 to... Detroit. But still, we're going to look at post-week two. First of all, quarterbacks. I want to spend a minute talking about Carson Wentz because I know he's not playing. But when I looked at this, this was very, it was a very obvious game plan. Carson Wentz is one of the worst deep ball throwers in football. If you look over at uh, SIS, um, second worst catchable percentage in passes 10 yards or worse. And Aaron Rodgers, no, he's not He's not the worst. <laughs> it's actually Lamar Jackson is the worst passer of the football, 10 yards or more down the field. If you go to 15 yards or more, then yeah, Aaron Rodgers, is, uh, he's, he's pretty bad. I think he's the second worst at that point. Anyways, the point is, here's how the, the team is, is sort of structured. 
Um, they've got a deep threat in Terry McLaurin, and then they've got their sort of every down uh, Debo Samuel type of guy. And that is actually Curtis Samuel is who we're talking about. And they're not utilizing Terry McLaurin as much because he's more of a deep threat. He's the 14.6 yards per reception guy. Curtis Samuel is the 8.1 yard per reception guy. It leaves Jahan Dotson sort of in between the two, but he's not playing. Presumably, it says he's a long shot to play. But but here here's the, the general game plan with Carson Wentz. Take Jair. Slap him on Curtis Samuel. I know it's not every down. I understand all that. But the point is, as a, as a general game plan, whether it's Jair or whatever, take away Curtis Samuel. Take away Carson Wentz, who is, has one of the quicker releases, short passes. He's, he's one of the most, uh, the highest in, in short pass attempts, zero to five yards. He's, you know, inside the top 10. Try to take that away and force him to push the ball down to Terry McLaurin. Now, nobody's going to really like that as far as our coaches are concerned, and if they complete passes, even the, the fans are also not going to be a huge fan of that. But that is the recipe for success, because at that point, you take away the short stuff, you force a guy who is wildly inaccurate to push the ball down the field. It also gives our, um, our pass rush a little bit more of an opportunity to get home, right? So that, that would be the general formula. The problem is we have a new quarterback in town. So the question is, Taylor Heineke, is he going to be the kind of guy that pushes the ball down the field? Well, I just saw something on Twitter, and I went back to try to find it, and of course I can't find it. I also found a really funny video that I wanted to use later, but I can't because I am a psycho about closing tabs, and I closed that tab. I've been saving it for like two days. I don't know why I didn't just bookmark it, but I'm an idiot. It doesn't matter. But it said that when Taylor Hein or, or Carson Wentz targets Curtis Samuel, uh, I think it was like 17% of the time. Taylor Heineke was like 27% of the time. So he was a big-time security blanket. So as much as Curtis Samuel is the number one wide receiver in terms of receptions, not yards, because again, Terry McLaurin, uh, way more yards per reception, but he's their number one relief valve. That goes up by almost double with Taylor Heineke coming in. But the bigger question is, okay, but can he get it to tear? If we if we dare him to throw it down the field, is that going to be to our own detriment because he's going to start taking shots to Terry, and we're all in big trouble? Not necessarily. Um, although he's not as bad, Taylor Heineke passes 10 yards or further down the field, 66% were catchable. So 4.5 out of 10, uncatchable. It's, uh, what did I say, it's the eighth worst. Do you know Rodgers was one of the worst deep ball throwers last year, too? 15-yard passes, he was the seventh worst. I feel like Rodgers hasn't really been a good deep ball thrower for most of his career. I think he was in 2020, which is probably why the offense was so dominant. But this has been kind of a, an issue for a while, I think. But beyond that, if we switch over to uh, PFF and look at that real quick, if you look at pass depth... He had, and remember, a lot of guys have like 90 overall grades when you're talking 20-plus yard passes because, if you know, we're talking a lot of yards, a lot more touchdowns and all that kind of stuff. He had a 71 overall grade in passes behind the line of scrimmage, 72 overall grade on short passes, less than 10 yards, 59 overall grade on medium passes, 10 to 19 yards, and a 52 overall grade on deep passes, 20 or more yards down the field. 32.8% 32.8% completion percentage, 665 yards, eight touchdowns, eight interceptions. If we use SIS to bump this out a little bit to 20 yards, um, seventh worst catchable pass percentage, 47.1%. So the bottom line is, I, I think 
the general strategy stays the same. I think Taylor might be a slightly better deep ball passer based on how terrible Carson Wentz has been recently. Actually, I lied. I forgot to change it back to week one. Ah, you know what? I got to look through the whole season. I have it still set up for the certain weeks. One second. Let me do a minor correction here. Yeah, sixth worst um, in terms of catchable passes, 20 yards or more down the field. And actually, if we look at value as opposed to just accuracy, um, that, that sort of takes into account the result of the play and everything else. He had the second worst PAR, negative 15.6 points above replacement on 20-yard passes. Ben Roethlisberger was the only one that was worse. If you look at 15-yard passes, which is relevant because, again, um, Terry McLaurin's average yards per reception is about 15 yards. He's still second worst behind Ben Roethlisberger. If you look at 10 or more yards down the field, Taylor Heineke is fourth. Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Mike Lennon were the only worst passers of 10 or more yards down the field. So again, generally, the, the, I think the strategy stays about the same for the defense. In, in a macro sense, as far as passing, re- remove Curtis Samuel as best as you can from the equation. That is the security blanket. That's the chain mover. That's the number one priority. After that, you've, you, once, if, if you, to the degree which you're able to do that, you have disabled their offense. Just completely disabled it. Now Washington looks just like the Packers where they can't do anything and they're trying to drive the ball deep down the field. The other potential threat and that, that thing that could help them kind of open things up is their ability to run the ball. Um, fortunately for us, their offense ranks 24th in yards per attempt. In weeks three through six, um, the, there's a running back duo between Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson, but Robinson has sort of taken over the last couple weeks. Antonio Gibson's carries have sort of plummeted. I'm guessing Robinson had some kind of an injury or something. I don't know. It doesn't matter. He's a 2022 third round pick. He's a rookie coming in, trying to do his thing. He's been handed the keys. He does have a 73.3 running grade. Um, However, in week five against Tennessee, he had 2.4 yards per attempt, nine attempts, 22 yards. Against Chicago, 17 attempts, 60 yards, 3.5 yards per attempt. He's averaging 3.2 yards per attempt. Now, considering he has a pretty good run grade, I, I can only assume this is the fault of the offensive line not really doing anything. He had three missed tackles, four, 2.59 yards after contact, which tells you he had about one yard before contact. Actually, it was, I think, less than one yard. So he's got some ability. And I have a feeling if, if we're not playing super disciplined football, if we're not hitting them early, as in, you know, ideally linebackers kind of filling gaps, hitting them, in the hole kind of thing, not waiting, that whole thing. I think we'll be okay because the offensive line, it's very similar to the Packers. I don't know if the Packers are going to run the ball well, but I know Aaron Jones will run the ball well. What does that mean? It means it depends if Aaron Jones has anywhere to run. And it's kind of the same with Dylan. I think I wanted to touch on this yesterday, but I'm pretty sure I never got to the point. I, I, I do that a lot where I kind of touch on something, but it's like I'm pretty sure I never actually finished my thought. Very briefly with the Aaron Jones, uh, A.J. Dylan thing, I think it's sort of unfair the way we um, characterize the two of them as Aaron Jones is elite and A.J. Dillon isn't. I just think with the offensive line struggles, Aaron Jones is able to navigate this issue better than A.J. Dillon is. When the offensive line is doing its job, I think we have a very good duo with two very, very good running backs. But Aaron Jones is playing better than he ever has. And again, he's able to navigate these, these issues of, you know, 
not very good offensive line blocking. You know, what one of the very obvious issues is Aaron Jones will follow his blockers even if things are kind of falling apart and, and on occasion he'll be able to sneak through before the the gap collapses or whatever. AJ Dillon bails instantly and he's bailing pretty much every play because the offensive line is not really succeeding very often. Sometimes he bails too early. But it's similar to the Aaron Rodgers thing. Aaron Rodgers a lot of times will bail out of the pocket before he needs to. Well, what are you doing that for? Probably because he doesn't trust his offensive line because they're terrible. So again, better offensive line fixes all that. You got yourself a great duo. Anyways, Brian Robinson's the dude. This is goal number two. Take away Curtis Samuel is number one. Shut down Brian Robinson is number two. And again, I, I understand shut down is maybe not realistic, but that's the goal. We're shooting for erasing Curtis Samuel and shutting down the run game specifically Brian Robinson. What we want is for them to be a one-dimensional team that has to continually take shots to a guy who's blanketed and probably double-covered. Because we're going to have Stokes, because Jair's primarily going to be on Samuel, probably. Stokes, with tons of speed, is going to be covering their speed guy, their deep threat, with, you know, Savage, Amos, whatever, roaming over the top. Now, maybe that's a dangerous game to play, but it's the game I'd rather play. If we assume they're going to score some points, and we grant ourselves that they're probably going to connect on a couple shots, I'm still okay with it. Because in the, in the macro, in the big picture sense, what we're doing is we're disabling what they do best. And what they're trying to do is, is they're trying to throw the ball deep to scare us into stopping us from doing it, which is a good sign that we need to keep doing it. We need to turn them into a worse version of the Packers. All they keep doing is dropping back and passing and nothing's happening. And then within, you know, by the time halftime rolls around, they're getting booed out of the stadium. Another deep pass. I can't believe. Well, that's because that's what the pack we're going to do to them what everybody does to us. That's what needs to happen. And again, once you do that, you're also bringing to life pass rush. Now, the good news, the the, the very good news here is despite the fact that uh, Taylor Heineke and Carson Wentz are similar in that they both like to to, uh, target uh, Curtis Samuel and neither of them are very good deep ball throwers, Carson Wentz was getting the ball out of his hand pretty quick. He was like top 10 in in quickly getting the ball out of his hand, which is not great for us. Taylor Heineke last year was the sixth slowest at 3.01 seconds. That works incredibly in our favor. Now you say, well, how does that make sense if he's, if he's not throwing the ball down the field? Why is he, you know, how is he holding on to the ball? Same reason Justin Fields and Lamar Jackson and Jameis, well, Jameis is a deep ball passer. A lot of these guys, it, it has to do with just holding the ball not knowing what to do. That guy's not open, break the pocket, scramble around. It's all that stuff. It's not just being decisive and saying one, two, throw. Got to go, got to go, got to go throw. So in that sense, although he's a maybe slightly better deep ball thrower than, than this iteration of Carson Wentz, he's also giving our pass rush more time than Carson was giving. And I think that's a fair trade-off. Enough so that I'm willing to do this because if if they're able to execute a deep, you know, a, a short passing game, which by the way you can incorporate running backs, you can incorporate tight ends, you can do a lot more than you know if if you just take away Curtis Samuel, that's going to disable them to a large degree. But there's still other ways to get the ball out of your hand quickly and try to keep this offense moving and to frustrate the defense to say we're executing against the run, we're executing against Curtis, we're we're not really allowing them to push the ball down the field, but they're still able to move the ball with the quick passes and whatnot. Um, this somewhat takes away from that because you don't have that guy that's that's executing the short passes very well or very often for that matter, or the, the quick release passes, I guess would make more sense. You can go pretty far down the field throwing the ball quickly 
So I don't know that we're better off with with Heineke over Carson Wentz. But again, this is sort of the trade-off, and I think I'm okay with that. Now, if they're able to execute deep passes, that then obviously we're in a little bit of trouble, and you wish you had Dink and Dunk Carson Wentz. So in a sense, we are putting some pressure on you know Stokes or, or Razul or Jair or whoever it is that's going to be taking care of Terry down the field. Savage, Amos, whatever. Hopefully not, you know, Devondre Campbell or something at some point. But sometimes that happens too, You just based on coverage calls and alignments and everything. But I, I, I do think that is a pretty solid defensive game plan. Disable what they want to do. Force them to do what they don't want to do and that they're not very good at, especially with a guy that hasn't played. I mean, he was bad at it last year. He hasn't played in a long time. And we're asking him to not, you know, and that's the other, they want to get him comfortable. They want to get the quick passes. They want to throw to his security blanket. They want to do all that stuff. We want to take that away and say, nah, you're going to have to just play big boy football right out of the gate. Take away Curtis, stop the run, force them to try to push the ball down the field and just unleash the pass rush. Guys got to get home because that, that, that's going to ruin absolutely everything. That's, that's the ultimate piece. That's what we're trying to do. All of this is about keeping the ball in their hand so that we can get to the quarterback. If the pass rush isn't getting the job done, we're in a lot of trouble. Because now we're daring them to throw deep down the field, and you got a quarterback with a lot of time in the pocket. That's that is a disaster waiting to happen. I don't care who the quarterback is, but again, comes down to execution. Anyways, uh, I want to take a quick break. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you'd like to support the podcast, Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry is the charity that we are supporting. Some fun and exciting things going on. I just talked to my dad uh, yesterday. He said he had a, a, I believe, a pastor from Africa reach out and wants to uh, start a branch of Fertile Ground Ranch out in uh, Africa for people in need and also for discipleship. And so that's uh, a very cool development. Also want to shout out Craig. Thank you so much for uh, supporting the ministry and and uh, reaching out to my dad. He was very excited about that and is excited to uh, meet with you and to talk with your church and whatnot. So again, any and all support would be greatly appreciated. FertileGroundRanch.org. Uh, one final thing. Um, just heard from Clayton, a very good friend of his, uh, Richard Sheffield is a, uh, Tennessee skydiver and they were doing a skydiving thing prior to a high school football game. And, uh, it sounds like he was trying to do a stunt, uh, before landing and it went wrong. He was, I believe, uh, airlifted to a hospital and, uh, did not survive. Clayton just said, if you guys would please keep this family in your prayers. Very good friend of mine who just left behind a wife of 30, man, stuff sneaks up on you, 38 years, along with two sons and three grandchildren. He was one of those guys in our community that always took care of the less fortunate families. So always important to remember that all we're talking about is a stupid kid's game. You know, football doesn't really matter. It's fun and it's enjoyment. And uh, we got a team that we love and we root for and we hope that they succeed and everything else. And excited to watch them every Sunday. But, uh, man, take care of your families, take care of each other, and say a prayer for uh, for Rich and, and especially for his family and his friends and, and everybody that's uh, going to be missing him and, and struggling with what happened. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. All right, so that, that was the defensive side of things. want to take a look at the offensive side. That's going to be the, the biggest thing anyways, right? We, we trust the defense to some extent to be able to execute certain things, maybe not for four quarters, but, you know, whatever. But the offense, right? We, we want 20 points, 23 points. More than that would be glorious, by the way. It'd be nice to just see a great 
score, great offensive effort or whatever, but bare minimum, we, we said 20, assuming the defense does their job. If, if they don't, then, then, you know, good offense. We expect you to kind of do what, what needs to be done. If we're giving up 23, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to ask for more, but I'm going to have to ask for more. But anyways, how, how do we go about doing that against Washington? Who's again, recently been, uh, kind of solid. Uh, Montez Sweat in particular in that span of week three through six has a 90 overall grade, an 88.6 pass rush grade. He has 18 pressures on 111 attempts and three sacks. He is the 10th highest graded defender, period, in the entire NFL right now. Uh, By the way, Cameron Curl is the 14th highest graded defender in the NFL. Rashawn Gary is 22nd, just to put that all into perspective. But a quick overview of what's working and what's not working in Washington right now. Along the defensive line, Jonathan Allen is the the known, and remember, this is the team that's always obsessed with Alabama. They, they always have, and I think they're less so recently, but they still got some leftover guys, Jonathan Allen being one of them. He is sort of that pass rush monster on the inside. So Montez Sweat is on the outside, Jonathan Allen is on the inside. The entire defensive line, horrific against the run. 54 overall grade from Jonathan Allen, 44 from Deron Payne, and 29 from John Ridgway. Those are the three uh, primary defensive tackles. However, pass rush, Jonathan Allen has an 84 overall grade, 15 pressures on 125 attempts and three sacks. And even Deron Payne, who doesn't grade out all that well, um, 11 pressures on 132 attempts, which is sub 10%, but still two sacks. So again, and I know I'm going to blow your mind here real quick, the biggest thing we got to do is block well. And primarily, I'm not talking run blocking. That is important. All that's great. This game is null and void and doesn't, I'm not saying lose, but this game is is anything that we have as far as hopes for our team goes to zero if we can't block. Here's the good news, though. At our best, we have one of the better offensive lines in football. Assuming everybody does their job. I, I understand, well, we don't have this or that. I, I, I get it. I didn't say we, we're perfect across the offensive line. I said at our best, we have one of the better offensive lines in football. The key to their defensive success is pass rush. The reason all these other teams have not been able to do, you know, anything in terms of scoring points is because the pass rush has been effective. If you can neutralize that to a, to a better degree than anybody else you now have the ability to do what nobody else can. You say, well, Philadelphia has a good offensive line. They didn't score a ton of points. Well, Jordan Mailata uh, has a 65 overall grade as a left tackle. Lane Johnson's having a good year. Kelsey at center's having a good year. But that's two guys. We've got David Bakhtiari at left tackle. And and, and again, I don't know what's going to happen as far as right tackle. If, if Elton is there and playing at his best, then we have a better tackle duo than anybody that Washington has seen. If they make a change, then... I don't know. We, we, we got one tackle and, and a guard and hopefully a little bit more than that. And then we are kind of like the Eagles. But the point is, right now, along the defensive line, they got three guys. None of them can stop the run. One of them is a scary pass rusher by the name of Jonathan Allen. Off the edge, I already mentioned Montez Sweat. He also has a pretty solid run defense grade at 81 overall. Their number two guy off the edge, also not doing too terrible. Um, 63 run defense grade, 71 pass rush grade. He has eight pressures on 59 attempts. It's crazy how much. I mean, Montez, they, they never take the guy off the field. A lot of Packer fans are going to be a little upset to hear this because Rashawn is off the field a ton. Montez does not come off the field. Montez Sweat has 111 pass rush attempts. The next highest is James Smith-Williams at 59. 
I mean, it's it's almost half the amount. So it's like Montez doesn't come off the field, and then they rotate the other three. <laughs> but anyways, that's, you know, they do what they do, we do what we do. We'll see how it works for everybody. But still, uh, Smith-Williams, again, eight pressures doesn't seem like a ton, but that's on 59 attempts. That's uh, 13 and a half, you know, round up to 14%. That's, that's real good, and he's got a sack mixed in. Uh, F.A. Obata is third. He has 12 pressures on 53 attempts. He's at nearly 23%. And no, it's not like, well, he had like 10 in one game against the Bears. Nope. He had 4, 3, 2, 3, 4. Since, I mean, since week 3, 3, 2, 3, 4. Very consistent. No less than 2, no more than 4. So he's kind of a scary pass rusher. And he gets a sack, you know, in, in those games, one zero one one, About a sack a game. So... Washington doesn't have a great defense in terms of, of you know, they, they've, they've got everything. Like I do with the Packers constantly. We got the corner. We got the, the defensive tackle. We got the edge rusher. We got the linebacker. We got the safety. We got, you know, one of each. We, we're just dominant. They don't have that. But what they got is a freaking scary pass rush. Again, Montez is one of the top in football right now. Jonathan Allen's one of the better interior pass rushers in the NFL. In fact, let me take a look at that. Fourth highest pass rush grades since week three. Uh, just for reference, Kenny Clark ranks 12th. So their number one pass rusher is doing better than than Rashawn. Their number one interior pass rusher is doing better than Kenny in terms of just pass rush. Now, I know Kenny has kind of taken a half a step back here these last couple weeks. It seems like uh, weeks one, two, and three were kind of his, his big money maker. Six pressures, four pressures, three pressures. Since then, one, three, two. But still, Kenny is is still a dog. Kenny is dominant. I went through that play-by-play, and he was by far our best player on the entire team, with the exception of Rodgers in, in terms of quantity. But that that's the biggest thing for them. They don't have dominant across the board. They got some serious pass rushers, though. If you look at uh, win rate, F.A. Obata is fifth in the NFL. Montez Sweat is ninth. They have two in the top 10. James Smith-Williams, the other one, is 13th. So 13th. Ninth and fifth pass rush win rate. How often they beat the dude across from them. So so it's real simple, and it's it's scary and it's awful, but it's at least simple. We can comprehend it. We might not like it, but we can comprehend it. If we can't get this offensive line thing figured out, and I primarily mean the tackles, primarily mean the tackles because we're talking. These are three pass rushers. Jonathan Allen is on the inside, but we got three guys on the outside that are just winning a lot. If we can't get the tackle situation figured out, we're in a lot of trouble. Now, the good news is Montez Sweat rushes from the defensive right side 75% of the time. So he's going to be against David Bakhtiari. So, you know, I'm not saying Bakhtiari is going to erase the guy. I'm sure Montez is going to have, you know, he's going to give him a hard time, but that's that's to our benefit. Still 25% of the time on the other side, and maybe they up that a little bit depending on the situation, but Generally speaking, that's what you're getting from Montez Sweat is primarily David Bakhtiari. Um, F.A. Adoba is also primarily from that side. The guys that are primarily on the other side are going to be James uh, Smith-Williams and Casey Tuhill, but they still got to figure that out. At linebacker, it's a, it's a two-man job. You got Cole Holcomb and my man Jamin Davis. These guys are not really uh, big-time pressure guys. They do do it occasionally. And um, obviously the pressure rate is quite high because every linebacker except Green Bay Packers linebackers has a pretty high pressure rate. Uh, but only 18, 18 attempts for Cole Holcomb, 
three pressures, so 16%, no big deal, which is actually relatively low for a linebacker. But that's not really their thing, and, and, and their pass rush grades are terrible, so it's not a big part of their, their game. Cole, though, is um, doing a, a relatively decent job. 73 run defense grade, 70 coverage grade, um, nine targets, seven receptions, 92 yards, giving up two touchdowns and a pass breakup. I don't know. For my money, that kind of sucks, <laughs> but whatever. If you care more about the grades than the stats, then he's great. If you care more about the stats than the grades, he's he's leaves a little bit to be desired. Jamin Davis, 63. I know that's not how you say his name. It's just how I say his name. 63.9 run defense grade, 53 pass rush, 52 coverage, um, eight targets, five receptions, 63 yards, and a touchdown given. So three touchdowns against their linebackers. Remember, they haven't given up a ton of touchdowns, period. What, like two a game-ish? So there's three in three, four, five, four weeks given up to uh, against linebackers. Corners are a... a Real big weakness. And again, you wouldn't expect that from a defense that's actually doing pretty well, but I'm telling you, it's all pass rush, and it's making it real easy on the corners. Um, the number one corner is Kendall Fuller. The highest graded corner is Rashad Wild Goose. In fact, the number two, number one and number two corners are not the top corners as far as grades are concerned. Kendall Fuller does have a solid run defense and tackling grade, but is the second lowest graded coverage grade among their corners. He's their number one guy. 22 targets, 17 receptions. He's given up two touchdowns and has one pass breakup. Benjamin St. Just is the number two corner. He is a terrible run defender, tackler. That's where we need to be targeting those things. Find out where Benjamin is lined up. Throw to that direction. He ain't bringing down nothing. But as far as coverage, he has a 60 overall grade. 22 targets also, 11 receptions, one touchdown, two pass breakup. Wild Goose is going to be the slot guy. 64 overall grade, 66.9 coverage grade. Again, that's their highest uh, grade. No touchdowns, no interceptions, one pass breakup, six targets, four receptions, 40 yards. And then at safety, they got Cameron Curl, which is just such a weird situation with him being as good as he's been. Uh, He did have his worst game last week. Um, Generally speaking, I I think this might be a little overinflated because he's only played, we're only looking at four weeks, first of all. But... um, his his grades the last couple of years, 68 and 69, most of his grades have been slightly better than average, but still right at that 70 range, 75, 78, and 64. But his game against Dallas, he had a 92 overall grade. So I, I have a feeling as the season progresses, although, you know, Cameron Curl probably taking a, a step in year three, probably not going to remain the number one safety in football forever. I think he had one dominant game against Dallas. And what he did, I don't know, but it must have been great. But anyways, just the same, Cameron Curl, 90 overall grade, 79 run defense, 77 tackling, 86.4 coverage, nine targets, six receptions, zero touchdowns, uh, zero interceptions, zero pass breakups. Uh, The number two safety, uh, Cameron Curl, by the way, strong safety. Bobby, I mean, nothing is 100% free strong anymore, but Bobby McCain, more of the, the free safety of the group. He has a 61 overall grade, 54 pass rush, 60 coverage. None of these guys really come on blitzes at all. Curl twice, Bobby McCain twice. Derek Forrest um, has come four times. They're number three safety. But five targets, three receptions, 68 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, no uh, and two pass breakups for Bobby McCain. So, again, pretty straightforward. Corners are not great. Linebacker, One linebacker is, is decent. Safeties are fine. You got one good safety and one mediocre safety, something that we would, I guess, envy at this point as Packer fans. 
But the biggest thing is pass rush. There really is no need to dig into anything else in depth. If we can neutralize their pass rush, I don't mean shut it down because I don't think that's ever going to happen. If we can neutralize it, we have the opportunity to execute against the linebackers, corners, safeties. We certainly have the ability to run the ball. Now, it's not going to be the easiest thing in the world because the edge rushers have, you know, they grade out decent. And the, again, you got one linebacker that's decent. But, it, but it's not elite. And, and just in terms of their rank overall, they are uh, 21st defensively, giving up 4.6 yards per attempt. There's no reason we shouldn't be able to execute running the ball. But again, at the end of the day, if the offensive line is, is, is working and they're able to neutralize the pass rush, there's no reason they can't get to 20 or 23 points. If they cannot, if the offensive line is not fixed and it is still constantly under duress, and whether, you know, either we didn't make a change and Royce and uh, Elton are just getting absolutely obliterated with an occasional contribution from the, the left side, we're, we're kind of doomed. If we did shuffle it and Yash is, is getting lit up and, and Elton's still struggling and Bakhtiari's losing against Montez because he's one of the better pass rushers in football right now, then we're in trouble. So it's, it's, it's a much less complex thing than the defense. Take away this receiver, stop the run do this, do that. This is just, please block. Just block. What should we do about just block? Do you think like in terms of like depth of target, just block. I don't care. Short pass, deep pass, intermediate pass, run the ball, pass the ball, tight ends, wide receivers, running backs. I don't care. Block. If you can do it, you can win. If you can't, you won't. All right. That's it. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow, hopefully for Victory Monday. Have a good one. Bye-bye.